Hi everyone, I'm Lauren Simmons and welcome back to another episode of Mind Body Wealth. Everyone has a different approach to money. Some of them are really smart and some of them not so much. And some of those conflicting approaches might exist in the same family. For me personally, I come from a family where my mom is very independent, she is strong, she is really good with her personal finances. However, I love my aunt if you're listening. She is my mom's sister, came from the same parents, lived in the same household, is not as strong when it comes to her finances. The way that they look at money is completely different. My mom, while I think is really good with her personal finances, is almost too good. She doesn't go out in the world, experience experiences. She hoards money a lot versus my aunt, who as soon as she gets money, she will spend it as quickly as possible. And even growing up in the same household with my sister, who is younger than me, she does not like to spend more than $20. And anytime she does, it gives her some type of anxiety. I, on the other hand, have learned from my aunt, learned from my mom, and even learning from my sister how to be better with my finances. I'm not on the extreme spending a lot, but I also do believe in experiencing life, going to a nice dinner, buying a nice handbag, going on trips, and my evolution with money is going to continue to grow and evolve. When you come from a family with so many different perspectives on money, how do you even find the balance? Today, we're talking about your money relationships. Everyone has a unique relationship with money and everyone, wealthy or not, makes mistakes with their money. But if you're wealthy, you can take on a higher level of risk. And sometimes those risks really pay off. Meet Lauren Leggett. She's currently the chief of staff at Google, and we've all heard of Google, right? But before Google, she built her career as a former marketing exec at Facebook and a few other little-known companies like Uber, Fast Company Magazine, and Food Network. She's also a consultant, a philanthropist, and a passionate advocate for helping brands, millennials, and women understand how to use their resources to live life on their own terms. We're a couple of Lawrence, and we're going to get real. Together, we're going to talk about money and relationships, demystifying the role of financial advisors, and talk about when to embrace a little risk when investing your money. Well, Lauren, I'm so excited for you to be joining us today. Thank you so much. What did your parents teach you good and bad about money? Mm, my parents are risk averse. And so it was constantly thinking about a potential rainy day and not a whole lot of risky situations that might yield strong results. We can talk a lot more about that, but I think that's the, the biggest takeaway. Yeah. Yeah, I think for me, how I learned or had a relationship with money came obviously from my mom um, and my grandparents. My mom has always been really good with finances since the beginning of time, but almost too good because I, I do think that there is a, a thing as being too good with, with finances and you have to make mistakes with your money in order to be good with money. Like it, it, there's just no in between. Yeah, I don't know if it's a generational thing or what, but I think, you know, I can think back to earlier conversations in my career where 
I wanted to experiment with different things, whether it was becoming an angel investor or anything that required a significant amount of money. The conversations that we had were just around, you know, that's high risk. That's basically throwing five, ten thousand dollars on the drain. Are you sure that's what you want to do? Mm-hmm. And it scared me. And I think earlier on in my career, the conversation around money, like I did not want to do a whole lot of risky things because that was how I grew up. That's what I was trained to do. And I think to a certain extent, that lesson helped really set me up to be in a good place. I graduated from college. I didn't have debt. So there's a lot of really positive things that came from that line of thinking. But I also think to your point, you know, to be really good with money, you have to make some mistakes or at least be willing to make a mistake. And I think that's the evolution that I've seen in my own growth when it comes to to money. Yeah, I think when it comes to my mom, it not necessarily like she's always encouraged me, I guess, in some degree to be an angel investor or to invest in the stock market. But for her doing these materialistic purchases and like what is going to be the value add and the future always has stuck with me like to this day anytime I make a purchase over like $500 I'm like is it worth it you should have these moments in life where you are you know going to a nice dinner and like having some of these experiences that you normally wouldn't absolutely yeah I mean I think it's it's all about being smart and knowing when you can take those risks and when you can't I think the conversation about money needs to happen much earlier. I think a lot of it right now, for a lot of us, ends up being experimental and experiential, right? It depends on where you hit that sort of crossroads to be able to have the conversation about money. You know, for me, that exploration happened when I ventured into tech and my compensation packages started looking a little different than what I was used to. And I really just didn't know what was a good package because there were so many different things that sort of made up that package, equity conversations. That's not something that I talked about before. Um, So really understanding and being able to experiment requires that education. And I think for a lot of people, it happens to us much later, which is okay. Um, But being able to be, to have the knowledge, to have those conversations and navigate those situations is impactful for sure. So do you talk to your colleagues and friends about how much money you have or your credit or like any personal finance topics? There's definitely certain people who are comfortable having those conversations. And those that are in my network, I definitely speak to, whether they're colleagues, friends or mentors or the like. The other day, interestingly, you know, I was watching a show and one of the guests on the show was talking about how, you know, she has a very allergic reaction to conversations about money with friends. Um, And like, she feels like it's very disruptive to their friendship. And that's just not something that she's comfortable with. And I think a lot of people think that way. I am of the perspective that having conversations with people that you trust can be empowering for both people, right? Because there's so many things that you can learn through those conversations. Again, thinking back to my early experiences in tech, you know, conversations around equity. I remember When I got my offer at my first tech job, the recruiter kept saying, the way to think about this is the equity is the really big opportunity here because when this company IPOs, that can be incredibly lucrative for you. And for me, you know, that's a lot of really positive affirmation from a recruiter, but of course they want you to think this is a really great deal. And I just did not have the knowledge at the time to understand how to think about that. And so it was imperative for me to have conversations. I had conversations with people who worked in tech, I had conversations with people who were finance experts. I had conversations with a plethora of people. And I think that really was the beginning stages of my growing comfort level with talking about money, talking about 
smart business decisions, talking about how to plan for my future, like all of those things really began with looking at career opportunities and compensation packages. Yeah, I challenge people who say, you know, I have an allergic reaction to <laughs> to people who talk about money. We live in a society where the things that are controversial and taboo, we can openly have conversations about sex, our partners, politics, religion, and to ask someone how much their credit score is. It's just to me it, it's um it's a lame excuse. So every job that I've always gotten, I've, I've always asked you know, how how much people make and people weren't always comfortable with it. Before college, I worked at Chanel Handbags and one of the ladies uh, that worked there uh, made 2.5 in a year, 2.5 million in a year. You know, at the time, this was 19-year-old Lauren, so I guess I was in college, thinking, wow, if she can make 2.5, so can I. It won't be selling handbags, but... <laughs> I can do it. And I think having that conversation, especially in minority communities, it just makes it more obtainable and makes it like, okay, I can do this. And maybe it's not selling handbags. So maybe it's working in tech. Maybe it's working in finance. Maybe it's being a doctor. Maybe it's, you know, and then everything does not have to be linear. Like we can have our day-to-day nine-to-five jobs and also have our side hustles, which I think we're now seeing throughout this pandemic It really has been interesting seeing people do these side hustles and and making it a lucrative business. Um, Do you have any side hustles? I do. You know, I I work with businesses to consult on marketing opportunities and help them develop marketing strategies. Been doing that for a while, and it's a really awesome opportunity for me to just understand how I can leverage my skills and experience to support other small businesses where typically I'm dealing with Black entrepreneurs, which is my passion. In addition, I I leverage my network to work and consult and coach others. Um, And so for me, having multiple revenue streams is a way that I think about money. And I think it really creates just a dynamic opportunity for me to diversify the way that I attain my income, but also empowers me to think about a more diverse portfolio on the ways that I leverage the money that I have and how I want to achieve my goals. You know, when I first started working with a financial advisor, the very first thing he asked me is like, what are your financial goals? I was like, financial goals? You know, that's not something that I really thought about. I I don't know what my financial goals, other than to save and to have as much money as I could, I, I really didn't have concrete financial goals. And so that was something that really opened my mind to the opportunity to really expand the opportunities that were before me and leverage my strategic thinking to really drive towards specific goals. And so we came up with plans on buying houses. I talked about wanted to do at some point a complete year where I just travel the world. Um, All of those things require planning and preparation and financial planning and preparation. And so those were things that we talked about. And together, I've been very intentional about striving towards each of those goals. Lauren, would you consider yourself a risky investor? I would like to think that I am comfortable taking risks. I don't know if I would say that I'm a risky investor. I think at the end of the day, what I've learned is, number one, I think there's a way that I can leverage the money that I have to help Black and brown entrepreneurs and those who don't have access to capital or you know seed money opportunities. If I can leverage what I have to help them grow their business That is important to me, and that's something that's potentially high risk, but I I believe it's important. Beyond that, you know, I think 
sometimes you have to spend money to make money, right? And so when you think about your investment strategy, a lot of times, you know, if you're working with a financial advisor, if you're making the decision on your own, there's a point in which you're asked how risky are you willing to be? And I just think that it's important to take those risks. Um, the, the market fluctuates, as we know. And so um, in order to reap as much benefit as I can, willing to take a little bit of a risk, for sure. I am definitely conservative. I'm traditional. I I have to fully look at things, know what the plan is, and kind of go from there. I think in the past year, I've been a little bit more willing to take risks. But I, I think if most people that know me, my background, because of the environment that I worked in, that is a very traditional conservative space. So these new nuances that are coming up, not necessarily bad, but you know, crypto and all these new innovative things, I think I'm I'm the last one to to hop on board. I want to see the statistical data to support it. I want to see long term what what is this going to look like. So I, I think I'm usually the the last one to to do it. But I will tell people who are listening: if you want to take on those risky investments and you want to be a risky investor, go ahead by all means. Like do what feels right for you. But the one thing that I learned being on the trading floor is being accountable. I worked in a space where we had to make trades in microseconds. Whatever decision you make, you have to be accountable for that. So whether it it ends up good, bad, indifferent, you can't hide behind anyone else. You can't hide, you know, and, and use excuses. You just have to show up and be accountable. So if you want to be a risky investor, great. If you want to be a conservative investor, great. As long as you're willing to like have that accountability. And if it doesn't end up well, not having so much emotion behind it. Because I think that is really the difference between being a risky, smart investor versus being a risky, not smart investor. Absolutely. I do want to touch on what you said around cryptocurrency. That for me is <laughs> my comfort level. I'm just going to be honest. My comfort level with cryptocurrency is just not at a place where I'm willing to play there. Major kudos to the people who are. I'm still yes. doing my research. I'm still trying to learn and understand um, and just watch how the market trends. I, I, it's something right now that just for me feels like play money, I'm gonna be honest. I, I just, I'm not comfortable with it yet. I'm right there with you. I mean, again, I'm a person coming from even not just like finance, I, before finance, I studied genetics and I was in architectural engineering. So I'm all about data. I'm all about the statistics. And I do think crypto is innovative. I, I do think being in this di- digital space is wonderful. To me though, the volatility is astronomical that I just can't justify putting my money into it. And then if I am going to put my money into it, it's going to be such a small percentage of my portfolio that it would be equivalent to me buying a lottery ticket. But even like on the day-to-day, hour-by-hour, second-by-second news, like it gives me anxiety and I'm not even investing in it. I'm not there yet, Um, but it's good to know I'm not alone. So when it comes to angel investing, it's something that I have dipped my toes in in the past two years. And I feel personally, and this is a question as well, that we talked a little about about crypto. We talked a little bit about investing in the stock market. I personally believe in investing in communities, investing in companies that that are building up. I side more on if I'm going to take a risk, it's going to be in another organization. It's not going to be in a corporation. 
I know everyone listening, you probably have heard like invest in the top 500 companies. I am not about supporting companies that don't support people in my communities. I'm really big on that. Um, that anybody, you know, as you guys keep listening to my podcast, like I, I do everything from this holistic approach, but I have a hard time putting money into companies that don't hire women of color, don't hire women of color and give them adequate salary to other people. And being a corporation that is sitting in a community that looks like mine, but isn't doing anything for the community that you're sitting in. So I would rather be an angel investor all day, any day. But tell me, what are your thoughts on angel investing? Can you give us some examples of smart questions to ask when vetting entrepreneurs as an angel investor? Sure. I mean, first of all, plus like a thousand to your statement on investing in the community. That is our responsibility. I think, unfortunately, black and brown entrepreneurs just don't see the type of seed and investment money that other entrepreneurs see. And so if I don't invest in my community, who will? I think it could be incredibly empowering and fruitful. But I do think in order to be successful at it, you really need to understand the ins and outs and what you're doing. I think the one thing that I've learned through this experience is that when you invest in a, in a company, you're really investing in the entrepreneur, not necessarily the business, because the business right. can flip, it can change, it can evolve, it can fail. There's so many things that can happen. And I believe that whether it's this business that they're pitching to me right now or the next you know, three down the line, I really believe that they have the capacity to really innovate this industry and be a disruptor. Those are the things that I look for. Um, and so some of the questions that I'm looking to understand is what is your mission? What, what drives you? When you think about the work that you put in the world, what is it that you're looking to do? I think from a standpoint of their plan, I think a lot of people really think about specifically the money that they're asking for and how they're going to use it. And that's great. But I also want to understand that you have a long-term strategy and that you're able to really articulate that. The next thing I'm looking for is someone who's able to be honest about some of the mistakes that their business has made. You know, I worked with an entrepreneur and I invested in her business and she was talking about how she made a massive production mistake where she was working with um, a, an agency, if you will, that was sort of making the product for her. And in the contracting, she didn't own the rights to the recipe of the product that she was making. And as an investor, that's a little concerning, but I appreciated her honesty and how she was looking to rectify that situation. And then lastly, I think someone who can really articulate where they have blind spots that are potentially impacting uh, their business's growth and trajectory. I think a lot of times, you know, people think that an angel investor or an investor wants to hear you talk about, oh, you know, we have this skill set, we have this skill set, and we have all of the pieces here. We just need your money to make it happen. And for me, I, I think that's a little bit of a red flag. I really want to work with entrepreneurs who can say, this is a, a, a pretty big, massive gap that we have. We are not marketers. We are software engineers or we are, you know, really in the weeds on the product, but we don't know how to get this in front of consumers. Because for me, then that, that can say, I can say to myself, okay, I have this network and I know this person that could potentially yeah. support this business, or maybe I have this skill set that I can help this business. And so I'm really looking for those vulnerable, transparent conversations to really advance the work. And to your point, Lauren, I agree with you 90%, but I also feel like we are in a time where the power of storytelling is phenomenal and people will be vulnerable. They will be honest. They will show great leadership skills and storytelling. But for me, 
in that 90% and that additional 10%, I still am looking at the data. I'm still looking at the numbers because more than ever, we are seeing these startups get funded a lot, whether they're black, brown or, or not, mostly they're not. And then they're just crashing. There's like a dime a dozen that like are like that. And, and what was so captivating about a lot of these companies is the person who was on the stage, is the person who's the front person of, of these companies and organizations. And yes, they can tell you about the hurdles and the struggles and everything else, but I still want to look at the the financials and really look at you know what what is going on and I think there's this weird thing that's happening in this tech startup or just the startup place where people are telling these wonderful stories and we're captivated and okay open your your wallets and then it's just not continuing to scale. For the last question, if you had one smart money secret, what would it be? Absolutely, I think my number one uh, recommendation would be to think about opening up the conversation with your network and really having this conversation early and often. And then with that, being really intentional about what your financial goals are. Again, if I think back to my early experiences, I didn't realize the need to have a financial goal. I really thought that you just save and then you invest in the market and that's sort of it. Um, But what I have learned is that being intentional about what my financial goals are helps me to really work to achieve specifically what what are the things that I want out of life. One last thing. What about the little girl, little boy who's listening who doesn't have that network to lean on and support? Because while I think that's great, I think back to 18-year-old Lauren. I was often around people who, you know, when I would say goals like I want to make a million by, you know, 25, they would think that that was the most unheard, absurd thing. So what would you say specifically to Black kids? Because I I mean, I, I think that that I, speaking to them and going back to, to 18-year-old Lauren, when people I would say, like, I'm reaching too high or you're, you know, absolutely out of your mind to, to want to, to reach and have a goal that high. And I'm thinking back to 18-year-old this Lauren as well. And, I, and I'm thinking it back to where I was mentally at that point. I think the number one thing I would say is being afraid of money is not the answer. Um, no. Being afraid of getting into a bad situation. I remember, you know, going off to college, a lot of my family members told me, don't get a credit card because the worst thing you could do is get in credit card debt. And while that is good advice, you definitely don't want to get into credit card debt. The first time I got a credit card was probably 25. I didn't have enough credit to be able to do an experiment with different things that I wanted to do at that point in life. And so while the advice put me in a great place from a standpoint of, you know, not having a lot of debt, it also prohibited me from being able to do a lot of things. And and you have to find the balance and being afraid of money is just not the answer. I think that's what it all boils down to. I love it. Well, thank you, Lauren, so much for your time. Again, you are an incredible person. I'm not just saying that because I'm on a podcast. I mean that. Thank you, Lauren, so much for being here today. I truly, truly appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This is an incredible platform and I'm so excited to be a part of it. So thank you. Do you know what I mean when I say risk tolerance? We're constantly making decisions with our money, where to spend it, where to invest it, and how much to put under the mattress. Every single one of those decisions involves risk. Even something as simple as putting your money in a checking account is a risk. Some investments are low risk with a low reward and others are high risk because we're going for a high reward. The key is to find a balance of risk 
and reward that you feel comfortable with. That is your risk tolerance. It's like a fingerprint and it's unique to you. I believe that if you intentionally invest, you become a better investor. And part of intentionally investing means understanding your risk tolerance and investing in accordance. Right online, no more, no less. Here's a few money moves and where they fall on the risk tolerance spectrum. In my opinion, which sounds comfortable to you? High would be investing more than 1% of your portfolio or paycheck into cryptocurrency. Betting on sports games or even gambling is high risk. However, buying lottery tickets is moderate, buying designer handbags or shoes is moderate, and I say why, because a Chanel handbag, you'll always get a return, you'll even get more of a return, versus the more trendy bags, a Gucci bag, a YSL bag, you probably won't ever get what you paid for. Paying for subscriptions that you don't actually use is moderate, it's throwing away money. And putting money into a high yield savings account is low, because the interest rate right now is low, it is actually even lower than inflation. I wanna make clear with everything that I just said, I'm not judging if you decide to do any of the above. Follow what feels right to you. So the question is, do you risk more for a potential high return or do you risk less with no return whatsoever? That is a you question and only you can answer. There is no right or wrong answer. Here's my takeaway. I'm not gonna say risk is good or bad, but I am going to say you need to know where you stand. You need to know your risk tolerance and you need to make sure you are financially in a healthy place before you decide to take on any kind of risk. Because every time you invest your money, you're essentially giving it away with no guarantee that you'll see a return. Everything we do with money has a level of risk. I personally am not willing to take on much risk and I am perfectly okay with that. Plus, if I just wanna give away money just to give away money, I'd rather do it for a better cause such as donating to a charity. So while you're learning how to manage your finances, it's also important to learn how to embrace your own relationship with money regardless of what's in your bank accounts. Here's something else you might not know. Your money mindset might be inherited. We all absorb messages about money from our family and community, and some of those beliefs can be really great. But some of them might be holding you back. And if you weren't born into a family that passed on a positive relationship with money, you might be missing out. You know that saying, you can't pick your family, but you can choose your friends? Wealth management is the same way. You can't pick the money mindset you inherited, but you can pick your habits from here on out. And there are a lot of good habits you might wanna consider adopting, like setting up a monthly money checkup for yourself or talking to a financial advisor. I think the number one thing that stops most of us from talking to a financial advisor is the fear of getting judged. You might be thinking, I'm scared. What if I talk to someone and they tell me I've done it all wrong? What if my finances are just too messy? I've got student loans and credit card debt, and I'm addicted to food delivery apps. A financial advisor is just gonna laugh me out of the office. Take a deep breath. Like our first guest, Jordan and Dino alluded to in episode one, your personal worth is not tied to your net worth. Everyone deserves sound financial advice, and that includes you. 
Join me, Lauren Simmons, on our next episode of Mind Body Wealth dropping next week. Be sure to follow Mind Body Wealth only on Spotify. Until next time. Mind Body Wealth with Lauren Simmons is a Spotify original production from Best Case Studios. It's executive produced by Lauren Simmons and produced by Ayana Angel. From Spotify, executive producers are Gina Delvac and Jifa Yador. Producer is Tierra Darnell. Executive producer for Best Case is Adam Pincus. Our associate producers, Ali Gallo, Aaron Allen, and Stephanie Geary are the editorial directors. Our editor is Dean White with the help of Abby Austria. Thanks to Marmoset and Five Alarm for this music. And special thanks to Kevin Pham, Lauren Chin, Colin Frederick, Hannah Lebowitz-Lockard at Best Case, Evan Tarantino, Free Bird, Amanda Long, Jordan Tochinski at Spotify for production support, and Ashley Acevedo and Arabella Roberts at Artists First.